NovSB in Lisbon, I am Philippe Alfayat, and this is the Sustainability and Impact Global Series. From climate change to poverty, hunger, racism or gender inequality, business are increasingly called to step up and be part of the solution. But kind words and one-off projects alone will not cut it. In this series of eight episodes, we'll do a deep dive into Africa, checking how some enterprises are serving the consumers at the bottom of the pyramid. The tools they use, the challenges they face, how they adapt their pricing, marketing, distribution to commercial reach a growing market of more than 2.5 billion people globally. I'm passionate about unleashing the power of business to solve global challenges. It has been the focus of my work across more than 35 countries in the past decades, either as an adjunct professor, entrepreneur, a consultant or a policy advisor. And it is with the fuel from that exact passion that we put together this series, which is a collaborative effort with my talented students and great teaching team. You see, in the past two school years, a mix of students from all over the world that attended my course on leading impact enterprises in international development produced podcasts where they applied the course's learning to real enterprises. They did outstanding work, and the best six podcasts will be at the center of this series and its debates. In this episode, we'll bring to you the podcast prepared by our talent students that discuss the target groups, affordability, scalability, and ethical concerns of the non-for-profit organization, Future Madagascar. This organization, basically run on a volunteer basis, is providing scholarships to students for the private and second largest college in Madagascar. This podcast will give you the opportunity to understand a little bit better how organizations such as this one are providing access to education for the bottom of the pyramid. This podcast has been recorded in the form of a semi-structured interview with one of the founders, and that will give you a deep dive into the work tensions in this organization. Difficult questions were asked and good and direct answers were provided. We meet today, I have Daniela Afonso, teaching assistant and one of the forces of this podcast. Hi, Daniela. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you for all your work. This podcast has a number of very interesting points that are actually different from the other ones. One of them is the focus on leadership and how is to be a leader born and raised in Europe in an organization that is trying to provide support services in a remote country in Africa. Yes, so um, in this in this podcast, students uh, actually mm-hmm. ask questions very straightforward to the tensions of the of a business model and how the and how the leader is trying to address them. So, Danielle, one of the things we were discussing before uh, coming to the studio and started recording this this uh, podcast was how interesting it is to think when you look at this specific case, this. Uh, real-life story, the tension between who is the beneficiary. Because for the founders, it was clear the beneficiary was the kids and their families in Madagascar. But the students start having a different opinion about, at the end of the day, who is the real beneficiary. 
Definitely. Um, they they start asking whether the visiting volunteers uh, that are going in in these international experiences for one two months maybe they are the ones uh, that actually benefit from um, the program in terms of CV optimization mm-hmm. or even self realization of yeah. doing good. And that's good. I mean, that's not a bad thing, right? It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing because well, uh, these kind of enterprises need extra hands uh, every. Every day, I would assume, but um, at the end of the day, we we shouldn't lose our focus on who should benefit from the program, right? Exactly, and and also understanding what is the model that uh, serves that best, and because uh, that also links with impact measurement. And I think the students ask really pointy questions on this, and I have to say the founder was amazing in the way he was very clear on on his doubts. And I think when you talk about leadership, sometimes we have this idea that leading, you have a set of tools and you just have to implement them, whereas uh, leadership is more about a process and mm-hmm. uh, an yeah. activity that you keep doing instead of like a set of tools that you just apply every day. And, yes. and I think yes. you get that from this life, from this, yes. this situation. Do you have other moments from I think there's episode? one, it has to do with affordability. One question that, that was not clear to me, I mean, I don't know if you noticed this as well, is that they do not support 100%. The scholarships do not support 100% of the costs. And, uh, exactly. and, and uh, at the beginning, I remember talking about is and uh, why is that doesn't make any sense and it, i really like the, the the answer from from the from the founder because he also relates to the work i've done which is, his answer was we need to make sure that the families put some i think the expression was skin in the game they need to be committed because it's if you just give them they don't value what is being provided mm-hmm. so but again then you have another tension is well then you're just targeting students who come from families that are able to pay those 20 percent yes so they there is a tension there but from my work as well my experience i i totally aligned with this idea that if you don't have the communities putting something in some skin in the games putting something Mm-hmm. Uh, then it's really difficult to to make sure that they they are they are fully engaged. But I think the best thing is for our listeners to listen to the, the this great podcast. And let's start by uh, before we move there, maybe to acknowledge the the students that put this together. Yes. So uh, thank you to Sophie Andres, Francisco Potov, Felix Seidel, Linda mm-hmm. Alberts, Kish, Nico Gemkow. I'm sorry if I mispronounced your names. Uh, thank you for your work and for uh, bringing this episode to this podcast series. Absolutely, it was a great pleasure to to teach you. And I hope you keep engaged on unleashing the power of business to solve global problems. And then now let's go and listen to your work. Thank you. Welcome to the very first episode of our new podcast, Impact Developments. My name is Nico, and today I'll be joined by my colleagues Linda and Felix. I'm happy to announce that we will be welcoming Jakob Kelpfeld today, who is one of the co-founders and managers of the NGO Zukunft Madagascar, which for our non-German listeners translates into future Madagascar. Before I introduce the organization, let me quickly provide some background info on Madagascar itself. The island near the southeast coast of Africa continues to be among the world's poorest countries and is heavily dependent on foreign aid. Only one out of three children complete primary education, and of those students who do manage to continue their studies up until university level, only 10% of those enrolled matriculate. 
And that's where Zukunft Madagascar comes in. They are set on providing a better future for talented Madagascan students in need by financing their higher education at the ESSVA. The ESSVA is a technical private college and um, the second largest in Madagascar. The tuition fees there amount to 175 euros per year, which for Madagascans is pretty high. It essentially comes down to one third of the annual income of a skilled worker. So many young people in Madagascar simply cannot afford it. Because of this, Zukunft Madagascar identifies talented young people in need of support subsequently calculates how many percent of their tuition fee should be covered, and then eventually grants them the desired scholarship. The NGO was founded by Jakob and Andreas, together with their former professor, Mr. Ekbers, in 2008. And since then, they have managed to support more than 700 students and have actually grown into an organization with roughly 100 members. Now, since Zukunft Madagascar is an NGO, it is dependent on contributions from third-party donors, including individuals as well as organizations. Also, all of Zukunft Madagascar's employees are actually working on a voluntary basis, even Jakob. And every year, volunteers are sent to Madagascar to support them. But enough from me. Uh, let me hand over to Linda now, who is going to challenge Jakob with some critical questions about Zukunft Madagascar. Hi, Jakob. Thank you very much for being here. So let's jump right in. Um, so far, I understood that your target group is poor students in Madagascar that would like to study at a private university. So my question is now, why are you only supporting students from these private universities and not public ones? Doesn't this further divide the country and only help students who potentially could finance their college education on their own? Yes. Uh, hi. Thanks, Linda. Thanks for having me. Um, and yeah, definitely critical questions that you're asking. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the, so there's a couple of reasons why we're only uh, supporting one university in Madagascar, um, and that's the ESSVR, uh, as mentioned in the introduction. Um, so first of all, what's very important to note is that Madagascar as a country is very dependent on private universities because the public education sector is just not large enough and not well supported enough from the government uh, to provide education for everybody in need. And so private universities fill that gap and it's very common in, in African countries in general. Um, the reason why we're focused on ESVA is historically uh, we were teaching at this university, we know this university and we know the effectiveness, effectiveness of uh, education at this university. And so when we decided that we want to continue doing the project uh, and continue to support uh, education in, in Madagascar, that was the logical choice. Um, now, why didn't it develop from this one university to a broader uh, supporting base is mostly because ultimately we're a part-time association uh, and none of, the, none of the supporting actors nor the board uh, is working full-time. And so for us, that's the most critical factor when we talk about um, growing the network uh, that's a limiting factor and also um, for us the most important part is the effectiveness of education. So looking at the cost uh, and the, the output of any uh, growth mechanism and any growth plan, uh, we always came back to the conclusion that scaling within these boundaries is most important and is the most effective way for, for us in the funding. Does that answer the question? Yeah, thank you. Very good. So you were just mentioning that uh, most of you are working part time. So I was wondering, how do you uh, then select the students and how can you ensure that you select those who need it the most? And mm -hmm. also, do you think that those who make the decision have enough knowledge or even experience to make this difficult decision? So is it you or is it the volunteers who are deciding which students to, to support? Yeah, so that's a, that's so that's the key question to what we did, and there was the key question to when we set up the selection process in the first place. Um, ultimately, we have two major goals as an association. One is we want to support the quality and the affordability of uh, education. So we need to reach the right people and support the right people in order to achieve this goal. And the second one is towards our donors, where we have the obligation to obviously invest invest the money that they trust us with 
um, to fulfill exactly that mission, that no euro um, kind of gets lost on the way of doing that, um, which very often is a major challenge to to any association in the in the NGO space. And so, for us, ultimately, how we try to ensure this, we're from the beginning started developing a complex kind of selection and and fund distribution allocation system where we're really looking into two main factors. One is the economic background of the candidate. So we're trying to get proxy information on how wealthy or poor the family is the student comes from uh, in order to judge how much in financial need um, this student is. And the second part is um, we're looking at the academic talent and motivation. So looking at the academic track record um, and so on in order to assure that if we if we support the student, um, we support a academically talented and motivated student. Um, when it comes to the decision making, it's a it's a mixture of the volunteers that we send to Madagascar every year and the local staff um, at ESVA in, in Madagascar itself. Um, these this local staff obviously they have the experience of many many years. They know the system inside out, and we have built trusted relationships with them over the years. So it's usually the academic director, it's the dean of the university. Um, it's the, the financial head of the university and so on, in, a co in, in addition to um, the, the, the study program um, deans who are supporting this as well with inside information over the students. And so the combination of all of these factors tries to ensure that we hit it right and that we fulfill our two main ambitions. However, still it is difficult because ultimately we are far away and a Western viewpoint uh, is not always the reality of how things are really working in Africa. And so we need exactly that mixture. That actually, that actually helps us to make it really valuable and really efficient. Makes sense, yeah. And I also think it's very important to have some local people there to actually yeah, evaluate each individual student. But you were also talking about affordability, and I heard that you not always pay 100% of the school fees. So do you think this is really affordable for students in Madagascar? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point, because obviously, ultimately, also what your first question was referring to, you know, students who already study at the private university might already be able to afford it themselves. Now, the thing is, if you look at how much it costs and how much the average household income is in Madagascar, you will see that there is, a, you know, there's not a big gap. And so it is expensive for any student who studies there. Um, it's just a matter of how expensive it is. And that's what we're trying to, to get out, um, to cut out with our, with our process and the way I described before. Now, we don't want to pay 100% of the student fees, although the theoretically theoretical need would be with most students, because what is really important and that we know that from our own experience is you need to have skin in the game. You, the, the other party has to have skin in the game. Otherwise, the motivation will go down rapidly if everything is for free. That's ultimately what led us to a maximum of 80% of the of the fee being covered by, by scholarships. And also, if you think about it, what we want, we don't just want to help them achieve a you know degree where they have grades written on and that's it. What we want, what we want to, to achieve is to help develop the students into responsible individuals and adults who can then shape a future in Madagascar. And ultimately, that's about also self-enablement and you know pushing yourself and motivating yourself and being responsible. And I think that's the main part. Um, maybe one more question regarding the knowledge sharing process. So you said that you depend heavily on volunteers. So how do you handle the knowledge sharing process with those volunteers who are staying in Madagascar only for a limited amount of time? So how do you ensure that those new volunteers 
can mm. probably help from the beginning onwards. Um, okay, so first, I mean, the, the, we have to really the, the, the major luxury of having every year really, really awesome applicants for our program. So we never had the issue of having had a complete misfit uh, when it came to the, the volunteers. And that's a super valuable one because then you have individuals who are talented, who really want to do this, who really want to be part of the, the, the exchange program. Um, but also then what we try to do from the beginning on is give them an identity with the association and have their passion also then kind of um, applied within groundwork for the association before and after they are in Madagascar. And so we get a long-term investment from most of our of our former um, volunteers. And I think that's the main cornerstone. So they all have the motivation and they all have the long-term aim of supporting uh, education in Madagascar. And then when it comes to handing over the, the, the knowledge, I mean, ultimately, it's like in a job, right? You, you're onboarding people. So we're having like um, an annual event where everybody, all our alumni and, uh, and the new the new team are meeting up where we have an onboarding uh, weekend where we give all of the knowledge. And then again, it's learning by doing. It's, it's yeah, you, you just expose yourself to a new situation and uh, you have to go there with a mindset of, um, I'm just going to do it. Like whatever I see, I'm just going to do it and I'm going to, you know, walk the talk. So you were talking about the onboarding week for the volunteers and reminds me of scalability. So do you think your business model is actually scalable so that you can increase your outputs or even your impact so that you maybe also offer scholarships for more students or that you include more universities? Do you think this would be possible? Um, well, to be honest, I don't think it's super scalable the way we set it up, uh, which is like it's mostly due to two factors. One is we need direct contact and we need trust in order to deliver you know, the, the, a quality performance in accordance to our goals that I mentioned before. Um, and the second one is uh, we, we're a very lean organization in terms of we're all part-time and we're all volunteering. So um, it's not really scalable from that perspective. If you wanted to scale it, um, we really would need people down there for a longer time than those three months. Uh, we really would need people here doing the back office um, office work, like setting up structures and uh, very clear processes and so on. Um, and I don't think that that's going to work. Um, and it was a very uh, rational decision against that, to be honest, a while back, uh, where we looked into those options. We really investigated for quite a while of if we could scale it up a little bit more, willing to give also the additional effort, but it just like we wouldn't be living up to the expectations if we tried to. And I think for us, ultimately, look, for us, ultimately, it's it's a project that should be fun. It should have purpose and you should be able to give back to society, um, you know, as a volunteer. Uh, and it's therefore we really kind of tend to lean towards sustainable growth rather than you know, big uh, investment in scalability. And um, how I think Nonetheless, how we could, though, scale is in a different way. And uh, that's in the way that I said before with the multiplicator effect. We try to really encourage others to do the same. So we're thinking if we make you know, another person and another person and another person create a micro project in the way of how we did it, um, you could come out with uh, you know, 20 projects. And that's a whole different way to scale as well. So instead of one large one, you have 20 small ones. And that's the kind of piece also where we see where we're going to go in the future. So if students have you know, an investment proposal, if um, uh, our graduates come up with a business uh, for sustainable tourism or for you know, another education project, that's where we want to invest. Mm -hmm. Sounds really good. Um, so maybe one last more ethical related question regarding your volunteers. So isn't the whole program then more about German volunteers who are going abroad rather than about the students in Madagascar? Yeah, like this typical CV optimizing <laughs> activity. Um, yeah, no, it's so... Like it, it is a point, uh, but we're trying to really figure out with our selection process the people who are who tend to be more like this and the ones who definitely want to go there for idealistic reasons and because they want to give something back. Um, the way it's structured, we're really demanding quite a lot of like investment from our volunteers to go there. We're not covering any costs. We're not you know giving 
handing everything over on a silver platter, but people need to kind of engage and be engaged during those three months, but also before and afterwards. And I think um, so far we were very lucky with our volunteers and we had great, great people uh, over there in the last years. Without them, we, me and Andy and Hegbus, would have not been able to build up this uh, association to the extent that we did. And um, yeah, like you might have one or the other who are not maybe as idealistic as we tend to believe it, but ultimately our mission is very clear. It's the education part or like teaching there is one of the cornerstones of the program and it still is. And ultimately that's the reason why we went there because they were really, really happy to have, you know, Western Europeans teaching at the university, showing students also how we do it in, in, in Europe and, you know, giving another impulse from another part of the world uh, to those Madagascan students. But it's just one cornerstone. And for us, the main part is the scholarships and um, the association cooperation with other NGOs. Jacob, thank you a lot for your unique insights you gave us about your NGO. By the way, for those of you who don't know, I am also working for Zukunft Madagascar and I'm very glad to be part of the amazing team. Zukunft Madagascar pursues its goal of sustainable growth and we still want to be on place in many years and our mission is not just a short-term low-touch project. We are open-minded for new opportunities and want to continue to work with amazing people, not only the scholarship recipients, but also the team, which is dedicated year by year. We all think of education as a passion topic for ourselves. There are some discussions of the future evolution of the NGO, for example, the to seed fund partners and therefore becoming a startup. But all in all, we think of giving back as a duty for the Western world and we we'll keep on reminding people of that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sustainability and Impact Global series. Please follow this podcast on Spotify and on Nova's SB platform, Road to Play, and be part of this community working to unleash the power of business to solve global challenges one day at a time.